Chapter 11 of Police Your Planet by Lester Del Rey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 The Sky's the Limit. All that day the three rocket ships sat out on the field. Nobody went up to them, and nobody came from them. Surprisingly, Wayne had found the courage to ignore them but rumors were circulating wildly. Bruce Gordon felt his nerves creeping out of his skin and beginning to stand on end to test each breeze for danger. With the credit they'd accumulated in the fund, nearly all their collection was theirs. Gordon went out to do some shopping. He stopped when his money was down to a hundred credits, hardly realizing what he was doing. When he went out, the street was going crazy. Izzy had been waiting and filling him in. At exactly sundown, the rocket ships had thrown down ramps, and a stream of jeeps had ridden down them and toward the south entrance to the dome. They had presented some sort of paper and forced the guard to let them through. There were about two hundred men, some of them armed. They had driven straight to the huge barn-like employment bureau, had chased out the few people remaining there, and had simply taken over. Now there was a sign in front which simply said, Marsport Legal Police Force Headquarters. Then the jeeps had driven back to the rockets, gone on board, and the ships had taken off. Gordon glanced at his watch, finding it hard to believe it could have been done so quickly but it was two hours after sundown. Now a car with a loudspeaker on top rolled into view, a completely armored car. It stopped, and the speaker began operating. Citizens of Marsport, in order to protect your interests from the proven rapacity of the administration here, Earth has revoked the independent charter of Marsport. The past elections are hereby declared null and void. Your home world has appointed Marcus Gannett as mayor, with Philip Crane as chief of police. Other members of the council will be by appointment until legal elections can be held safely. The municipal police force is disbanded, and the legal police force is now being organized. All police and officers who remain loyal to the legal government will be accepted at their present grade or higher. To those who now leave the illegal municipal force and accept their duty with the legal force, there will be no question of past conduct, nor will they suffer financially from the change. Banks will be reopened as rapidly as the legal government can extend its control, and all deposits previously made will be honored in full. That brought a cheer from the crowd as the sound truck moved on. Gordon saw two of the police officers nearby fingering their badges thoughtfully. Then another truck rolled into view, and the mayor's canned voice came over it, panting as if he'd had to rush to make the recording. He began directly. Martians, Earth has declared war on us. She has denied us our rights to rule ourselves a right guaranteed in our charter. We admit there have been abuses. All young civilizations make mistakes. But we've developed and grown. This is an old pattern, fellow Martians. 
England tried it on her colonies three hundred years ago, and the people rose up and demanded their right to rule themselves. They had trouble with their governments too, and they had panics, but they won their freedom, and it made them great. So great that now one nation, not all earth, but that single nation, is trying to do to us what she wouldn't permit to herself. Well, we don't have an army, but neither do they. They know the people of this world wouldn't stand for the landing of foreign, that's right, foreign troops. So they're trying to steal our police force from us and use it for their war. Fellow Martians, they aren't going to bribe us into that. Mars has had enough. I declare us to be in a state of revolution. And since they have chosen the weapons, I declare our loyal and functioning municipal police force to be our army. Any man who deserts will be considered a traitor, but any man who sticks will be rewarded more than he ever expected. We're going to protect our freedom. Let them open their banks, our banks, again, and when they have established your accounts, go in and collect the money. If they give it to you, Mars is that much richer. If they don't, you'll know they're lying. Let them bribe us if they like. We're going to win this war. Gordon felt the crowd's reaction twist again, and he had to admit that Wayne had played his cards well. But it didn't make the question of where he belonged or what he should do any easier. He waited until the crowd had thinned out a little and began heading toward Corey's with Izzy moving along silently beside him, carrying half the packages. He remembered the promise of forgiveness for all sins on joining the new legal force, but he'd read enough history to know that it was fine as long as the struggle continued. Afterwards, promises grew dim. He had no use for the present administration, but Earth had no right to take over without a formal investigation and a chance for the people to state their choice. Then he grimaced at himself. He was in no position to move according to right and wrong. The only question that counted was how he had the best chance to ride out the storm and to get back to earth and a normal life. He was still in a brown study as he took the bundles from Izzy and dropped them on his bed. Izzy went out, and Gordon stood staring at the wall. Trench or the new Commissioner Crane? If earth should win and they had most of the power, after all, and Bruce Gordon had fought against security. The minds of Mercury were waiting. He picked up the stuff from his bed and started to sweep it aside before he lay down. Then he remembered at last. He knocked on the panel until it finally opened a crack. Here, he told her, food and some other stuff. There are some refuse bags, too. Yell when you want them removed. She took the bundles woodenly until she came to a plastic can. Then she gasped. Water? Two gallons? There are heat tablets and a skin tub. The sales girl had explained how one gallon was enough in the plastic bag that served as a tub. He had his doubts. Detergent, the whole works. She hauled the stuff in and started to close the panel. Then she hesitated. I suppose I should thank you, 
but I don't like to be told I stink so much you can't stand me in the next room. Hell, I've gotten so I can't stand your grandfather, he answered. It wasn't that. The panel slammed shut. He still hadn't solved his problem in the morning. Out of habit, he put on his uniform and went across to Izzy's room. But Izzy was already gone. Gordon fished into the pocket of his uniform for paper and a pencil to leave a note in case Izzy came back. His fingers found the half-notebook cover instead. He drew it out, scowling at it, and started to crumple it. Then he stopped, staring at the piece of imitation leather and paper that wouldn't bend. His fingers were still stiff as he began tearing off the thin covering with his knife. The paper backing peeled away easily. Under it lay a thin metal plate that glowed faintly even in the dim light of Izzy's room. Gordon nearly dropped it. He'd seen such an identification plate once before. The printing on it leaped at him. This will identify the bearer, Bruce Irving Gordon, as a prime agent of the Office of Solar Security empowered to make and execute any and all directives under the powers of this office. The printing in the capitals was obviously done by hand, but with the same catalytic ink as the rest of the badge, Murdoch must have prepared it, hidden it in the notebook, then died before the secret could be revealed. A knock sounded from across the hall. Gordon thrust the damning badge as deep into his pouch as he could cram it, and looked out. It was Mother Corey. You've got a visitor outside, he announced. Trench. And I don't like the stench of that kind of cop in my place. Get him away, Cobber. Get him away. Gordon found Trench pacing up and down in front of the house, scowling up at it. But the ex-Marine smiled as he saw Bruce Gordon in uniform. Good. At least some men are loyal. Had breakfast, Gordon? Gordon shook his head and realized suddenly that the decision seemed to have been taken out of his hands. They crossed the street and went down half a block. All right, he said when the coffee began waking him. What's the angle? Trench dropped the eyes that had been boring into him. I'll have to trust you, Gordon. I've never been sure, but either you're loyal now, or I can't depend on anyone being loyal. During the night, it seems, the legal force had been recruiting. Wayne Arliss and the rest of the administration had counted on self-interest holding most of the cops loyal to them. They'd been wrong. Legal forces already controlled about half the city. So, Gordon asked. He could have told Trench that the fund was good enough reason for most police deserting. Trench put his coffee down and yelled for more. It was obvious he'd spent the night without sleep. So we're going to need men with guts. Gordon, you had training under Murdoch. You knew his business, and you aren't a coward as most of these fat fools are. I've got a proposition straight from Wayne. I'm listening. Here. Trench threw across a platinum badge. Take that. Captain at large and conscript any of the municipal force you want, up to a hundred. Pick out any place you want. Train them to handle those damned illegals the way Murdoch handled the Stonewall boys. 
In return, the sky's the limit. Name your own salary once you've done the job. And no kickbacks either. Gordon picked up the badge slowly and buckled it on, while a grim, satisfied smile spread over Trench's features. The problem seemed to have been solved. Gordon should have been satisfied, but he felt like Judas picking up the thirty pieces of silver. He tried to swallow them with the dregs of his coffee, and they stuck in his throat. Comes the revolution, and we'll all eat strawberries and scream. A hubbub sounded outside, and Trench grimaced as a police whistle sounded, and a municipal cop ran by. We're in enemy territory, he said. The legals got this precinct last night. Captain Hendricks and some of his men wanted to come back with full battle equipment and chase them out. I had a hell of a time getting them to take it easy. I suppose that was some damned fool who tried to go back to his beat. Then you'd better look again, Gordon told him. He'd gone to the door and was peering out. Up the narrow little street was rolling a group of about seventy municipal police and half a dozen small trucks. The men were wearing guns, and up the street a man in bright green uniform was pounding his fist up and down, an emphasis, as he called in over the precinct box. The idiot. Trench grabbed Gordon and spun out, running toward the advancing men. We've got to stop this. Get my car up the street. Call Arliss on the phone, under the dash, or Wayne. I'll bring Hendricks. Trench's system made some sense, and this business of marching as to war made none at all. Gordon grabbed the phone from under the dash. A sleepy voice answered to say that Commissioner Arliss and Mayor Wayne were sleeping. They'd had a hard night, and... Damn it, there's a rebellion going on, Gordon told the man. Rebellion. Rebellion. He'd meant to say revolution, but... Trench was arguing frantically with the pompous figure of Captain Hendricks. From the other end of the street, a group of small cars appeared, and men began piling out, all in shiny green. Who's this? the phone asked. When Gordon identified himself, there was a snort of disgust. Yes, yes, congratulations. Trench was quite right. You're fully authorized. Did you call me out of bed just to check on that young man? No, I... Then he hung up. Hendricks had dropped to his knees and fired before Trench could knock the gun from his hands. There was no answering fire. The legal simply came boiling down the street, equipped with long pikes with lead-weighted ends. And Hendricks came charging up, his men straggling behind him. Gordon was squarely in the middle. He considered staying in Trench's car and letting it roll past him, but he'd taken the damned badge. Hell, he said in disgust. He climbed out just as the two groups met. It all had a curious feeling of unreality. Then a man jumped for him, swinging a pike, and the feeling was suddenly gone. His hand snapped down sharply for a rock on the street. The pike whistled over his head, barely missing, and he was up, squashing the big stone into the face of the other. He jerked the pike away, kicked the man in the neck as he fell and unsheathed his knife with the other hand. Trench was a few feet away. The man might be a louse, but he was also a fighting machine of first order. Still, he'd already captured one of the pikes, 
Now he grinned tightly at Gordon and began moving toward him. Gordon nodded. In a brawl such as this, two working together had a distinct advantage. Then a yell sounded as more legals poured down the street. One of them was obviously Izzy, wearing the same green as the others. Gordon felt something hit his back and instinctively fell, soaking up the blow. He managed to bend his neck and roll, coming to his feet. His knife slashed upwards and the legal fell, almost on top of the security badge that had dropped from Gordon's pouch. He jerked himself down and scooped it up, his eyes darting for Trench. He stuffed it back, ducking a blow. Then his glance fell on the entrance to Mother Corey's house, with Sheila Corey coming out of the seal. Gordon threw himself back. He had to get to her. He hadn't been watching as closely as he should. He saw the pike coming down and tried to duck. He was vaguely conscious later of looking up to see Sheila dragging him into some entrance while Trench ran toward them. Sheila and Trench together, and the security badge was still in his pouch. End of chapter 11